Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. This weekend, we are continuing our series entitled Anchor, and I'm going to do something. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. While you're turning there, I'll kind of give you a heads up on this message. I'm doing something I've never done before. I may not ever do it again if it doesn't work well. The message that we're jumping into uh, is going to be over two hours long, but I'm going to cut it up into four weeks, all right? So this is a month-long message in this series, all right? And we're going to have an absolute blast in this message because we're going to learn about God. Remember last week in kicking off our Anchored series, we talked about theology and and I gave you the definition, a very simple definition of theology and that is the study of God. And you remember the one-liner last week was, if you are a lover of God, you're called to be a what? studier of God. Don't say student because that doesn't rhyme with lover, okay? You're a, a studier of God. So when we hear the term theology, we hear other words attached to it. We hear words like good theology. We hear bad theology, incomplete theology, limited theology, all kinds of, then we get to the different types of, of theology and theologians. But think about this for a minute. Think about the term bad theology. Of course, none of us ever sets out to have bad theology, right? We all want to have good theology. But have you ever thought about where does bad theology come from? What is the birthplace of bad theology? Is it bad hermeneutics, the lens by which you view Scripture? Is it bad exegesis? the way you break down scripture? Is it bad teaching? Is it ignorance? I think all of those things come later. But if you're really to look at where does bad theology begin, if you're taking notes, and how many of you got the notes when you walked in? Just put your hand up. Okay, I want everybody to get the notes because I bust my ever-loving tail during the week to make sure you have something to write down. But more than that, and that even if I didn't, that wouldn't matter, I believe God speaks every time we come together. And I want us all to be ready to write down whatever we hear the Holy Spirit saying to us. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Where does bad theology begin? With the wrong answer to the question, what is God like? What is God like? The wrong answer to this question is the beginning of bad theology. Since that's the case, we're going to walk through a month-long message with more than 20 points, and I figured rather than cramming them all into one weekend and and a two-hour message in one weekend, we'll just take a month, we'll take our time, a little stroll, and we're going to answer the question over the next month, what is God like? And we're going to have a lot of fun doing it, and I believe you're going to see God in in a different way than you've seen him before. Because we're gonna be walking through the attributes of God. And that may, may seem like a big word, but it really means the things that are true about God. It doesn't just mean the character traits of God. God is too big. 
God, God is too incomprehensive to just have character traits, okay? He is all of everything he is. So he's not just a little bit of something, he's all of everything, all right? So we're going to walk through, and there's going to be some big words, but just relax. You're going to feel smarter by the end of each of these messages, all right? And follow along in your notes. Let's jump into the first one. Here's point number one. What is God like? Let's talk about the incomprehensibility of God. Another way to say that is, what is God like? God is incomprehensible. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Ephesians 3 verse 8, To me, who is less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable or unfathomable riches of Christ. Romans eleven thirty three. Paul also says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, the term incomprehensible does not mean that we cannot know God. This word incomprehensible means we simply cannot know God exhaustively. A finite mind cannot completely know an infinite God both now and forevermore. I think some people think, like when we get to heaven, we're gonna know everything God knows. No, he knows everything, and you and I will never know everything about him. That's part of the sweet romance of relationship with God. We're gonna spend the rest of our days and all eternity as lovers of God learning more about God. Now, what does this mean for you? Let me give you the romantic side of the incomprehensibility of God, and I'll, I'll use my wife Holly as an example. Uh, I, of course, adore my wife, and I am a, an obsessive nerd as it relates to learning about her. And one of the reasons I think many marriages go stale is the spouses stop studying one another. We're called, as lovers, to be studiers. And one of my favorite phrases that I ever hear my wife say to me is this. I want to tell you something about me that I've never told you before. When she says that, it is on like Donkey Kong. That is almost better to me than, hey babe, are you in the mood? That's great. But I love hearing her say, hey baby, I want to tell you something about me that I've never told you before. Okay. This is what the incomprehensibility of God is like. It's, it's as though he's saying two things related to the incomprehensibility of his nature. Here's the first one. I want you to spend the rest of your days learning everything you can about me. But here's the second and even more powerful thing. It's as though God says to you, I will never run out of ways to finish the phrase. I want to tell you something about me that I've never told you before. For a God who is incomprehensible, who is so majestic that we can't know everything there is to know about him, think about how good this is for us. If God were not incomprehensible, our relationship with him would get boring at some point because we would run out of new things to learn about him. 
It's as though God is saying to us, I'm never going to run out of things to teach you about me. But that's not the question. The question is, will you run out of desire to learn about me? Our God is incomprehensible. Here's the second thing when we talk about what is God like. Let's talk about the infinitude of God. The infinitude of God. Or God is infinite. What is God like? God is infinite. Psalm 147 verse 5. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite or limitless. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens. That's an incredible statement right there. Heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Now, infinitude does not just relate to time. It, it doesn't just mean God is infinite as it relates to time. What it means is God is infinite in all his ways. He is limitless in all of his ways. Here's a more simple way to say it. God is immeasurable. If you're taking notes, write this down. Measurement is the method created beings use to account for themselves. But God cannot be measured. For those of you who are nerdy like me and you like homework, go home and read Isaiah chapter 40 this week. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible because I don't even know if this is theologically accurate, but it, it's a little bit like God is showing off in Isaiah 40, and he's on this long run, just going over a small portion of his supernatural resume. And one of the things God says in Isaiah 40 is he says this, to whom can you compare me? And here's another way to say that. God's saying, listen, I am Im incomparable. You cannot compare anyone to me. I am incomparable. And here's why, because I am immeasurable. But let's try and use some human metrics to try and understand just how immeasurable our God is. How many of you would say that, in your opinion, the earth is huge? Just put your hand up, both campuses. Okay, good, that's good, not a trick question, all right. What if I told you the earth is huge, but it's not as huge as you think it is. Let's talk about the sun for a moment. Did you know that the sun could contain over one million earths within itself? That's huge. That is monstrous. Okay? We think the earth is huge. And think about this. We, we think just everything around us is huge, but the earth is massive, but the sun could contain over one million earths. For those of you who are nerdy like me, I'll go one step further. Did you know how hot the core of the sun is? Scientists say 29 million degrees Fahrenheit. Here's another way to say that. All of the energy ever produced on the earth for all time is the equivalent of less than one second of energy production by the sun. That's crazy. Here's what's even crazier. The sun 
is just one of the stars. How many stars are there in our Milky Way galaxy? Over 400 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy. But I'll go you one further. How many galaxies do scientists estimate there are presently? Over 125 billion galaxies. You know what's amazing? The Bible says God created the earth, the sun, that could hold one million plus earths within itself, produces more than all of the energy that will ever be produced on the earth combined, which is just one of the over 400 billion stars in our one Milky Way galaxy. And God also created the over 125 billion galaxies in the universe. And you know how he created it? With a word from nothing. I would say that qualifies you to be immeasurable. He is limitless. It is literally impossible because some of you are thinking, okay, my mind is exploding. I, I can't go any further, Preston. This is too big for me to figure out. It's too big for all of us to figure out. It is literally impossible for a limited mind to comprehend the unlimited. Our God is unlimited. And there are two awesome things about the infinitude of God. Here's the first one. I'll go back to when I was in junior high. I know it shocks you to hear what I'm about to say, but when I was growing up, I was not always the biggest kid in school. I know now you think I'm like just monstrous, but I wasn't back then. And so I had a strategy when picking my friends. And my strategy was find the biggest, toughest kids who will be your friend. So I started with the football team every time. And I wanted the linemen. I mean like the mean linemen that would step on your helmet kind of thing. Those were my friends. The reason was because if someone was going to pick on me, I need a strong ally to defend me, right? That's just common sense. Okay, well think about this. The next time you feel like your enemy is picking on you, remember this little fact. Your enemy is limited. Your God, your number one ally in all times, but especially in times of need, is limitless. He is immeasurable. You talk about it, you can't even call it a fight, it's so unfair. It's like we have this idea that there is this cosmic tug of war where Satan and God are going back and forth and hopefully our God wins. He doesn't just have all power, he stands above the circle of the universe as though the rest of it were like a grasshopper, he says in Isaiah 40. The next time the enemy picks on you, remind your enemy, the one who comes to stand with you is immeasurable and limitless. Here's the second thing that's so awesome, and this is more on the romantic side. If God is unlimited, then everything he is, is unlimited. Now, I don't want to get too far into some of the other attributes we're going to talk about down the line in this message, but let me read you Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, or that sin might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Okay, 
this is going to blow your mind because it, it just comforted me in so many ways. For those of us who beat ourselves up for all of the sin that we are guilty of constantly, think about this for a second. Sin is limited. Sin has limitations. But because God is limitless, then everything he is is unlimited, which means Romans 5 verse 20 is saying, take all of the sin, you can wrap your mind around the sins of everyone you know, the sins of the earth. Here is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The grace of God is unlimited. Never runs out. Always more than enough to apply. Now remember, Paul goes on to say, so, so does that mean we should sin all the more? He says, of course not. Of course not. But how amazing is it that our unlimited God will never run out of anything he is or has. Here's the third thing. When we talk about what is God like, we have to talk about the eternity of God. Point number three, the eternity of God. Another way to answer the question, God is eternal. Psalm 90 verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, speaking of God, of course, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In Isaiah chapter 43 verse 13, God says, from eternity to eternity, I am God. Now I'm going to just read you a few statements, and several of these are from A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. There are several incredible books about the attributes of God, Knowing God by Packer. Uh, A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite authors, and for the nerdy nerds, if you haven't read The Knowledge of the Holy, read that thing this week, and one of the best chapters in that book is on the eternity of God. But let me just read you a few brilliant statements that Tozer writes. Here's one. For God, everything that will happen has already happened. This is because God is eternal. He has already lived all our tomorrows just as he has lived all our yesterdays. Now when we read that God says, I know the end from the beginning, how is that possible? There's a very simple explanation, but it's hard to wrap our minds around. The reason God knows the end from the beginning isn't just because he knows everything. This is going to blow your mind a little bit. God knows the end from the beginning because he is simultaneously present in both. <laughs> I can't make my bad I do that right now. All right, what? Here's another way to say it. God dwells in eternity, but time dwells in God. Time applies to us not to God. God is outside of time, space, matter. God is spirit. He uses time, but he is outside of time. Time dwells in him. Now, why is it important to understand the eternity of God or that God is eternal? 
Well, one of the reasons is the eternity of God emphasizes the brevity of man. Have, have you ever, when God asks you to do something, even if it seems small, have you ever responded like this? Oh, I got plenty of time for that. I'll get to that when I can get to it. I got plenty of time. Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses. Listen to what he says in verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God's timelessness reminds us how limited our time on earth actually is. And when God asks you to do something, it's a part of his grand plan on the earth. And when you say, oh, I've got time, uh, technically, no, you don't. When compared to the timelessness of God, God has time. We don't. God has time. To God, time is like a commodity. It's like the change found between your couch cushions. God doesn't need time. He uses time. And we don't have nearly as much. That's what Moses is saying. Teach us to number our days. If you're taking notes, write this one down. When we overvalue our length of days, we underestimate the importance of God's smallest request. When you think you have more time than you actually do. Well, Preston, I've got 70, 80, 90 years. When compared to eternity, that's how fast it goes. Even faster than the blink of an eye. Our God is eternal. Here's the fourth thing we need to talk about when answering the question, what is God like? Point number four, the self-existence of God. God is self-existent. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What are the first four words of the Bible? It's not a trick question. In the beginning, that's a loaded statement right there. In the beginning, God. When we talk about the self-existence of God, I call it the always been God. And you'll understand why in a second. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Remember what God says to Moses when he's giving him his name? He says, hey, bro, I am that I am. I am who I am. And the root word for this name means self-existing. Here's a way to describe self-existence. There was never a time when God was not. There was never a time when God was not. Before anything, time included. Before anything created. In the beginning, God created. But before he created, God was. He is self-existing. Everything that was made was made by someone made from none. God is not a created being. He's the creator. If God was a created being, then that which created God would be God. And God would just be a created thing. Before anything was, God was. 
Now, if you put a marker in Colossians chapter 1, this is a phenomenal passage as it relates to the self-existence of God. We're going to read a couple verses here, starting in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Think about that for a second, because sometimes we give too much credit to the things we can't see, to the enemy we can't see. Colossians chapter 1 lets us know. It's almost like we put them right next to God. And God says, no, all of those are created things. Preston, just like you. In other words, even the playing field, son, understand, they're not like me. They are created beings. Everything was created through him and for him. Verse 17, he existed before anything else. And watch this next part. And he holds all creation together. The next time you come to God thinking that what you're asking him to do is too big of an ask. Well, there's just too many moving parts in this request and I I just don't know. He holds all creation together. What? Then I'm pretty sure he can hold your calendar together too. I'm pretty sure he can hold your difficult family together too. I'm pretty sure he can hold your life, which seems like it's about to break apart into a million pieces. I'm pretty sure he can hold that together too because he holds all creation together. Why? Because he is self-existent and everything else is not. It's a created thing. Now, let's understand what that really means. Let me try and describe it. God created everything to revolve around him. He existed before anything else. He is the creator. Everything else is a created thing, and he created everything to revolve around him. But something happened in the garden. Satan introduced another option. And the option wasn't just to do what you want. Man deliberately disobeyed a divine command. And in doing so, let me try and describe what happened. Remember, God created everything to revolve around him. And when man chose to sin, it was the equivalent of man saying, God, I know that you created me to be like a planet that revolves around the sun. But I have a better idea in mind, thanks to Satan. I don't want to be a planet. I want to be like the sun for whom everything revolves around. That's what sin does. It makes everything in our lives seem like it revolves around us. It's my life. Everything revolves around me. Uh, Are you self-existing? Have you actually created anything? No, you haven't. No, I haven't. God created everything. 
He alone is self-existent. Everything revolves around him. And one of the most foolish things we could do as men and women is to try and de-loft God from his rightful place, elevate ourselves from our true place to a place where we want everything to revolve around us. It doesn't work because God is self-existing and we are not. Think about this. When, before you were married, for those of you who are married and for those of you who aren't yet married and you're dating and you're trying to find that person, you go out on a date and what do you do? You're kind of interviewing them, right? You ask a lot of questions and you're, you're trying to answer the question, what is this person like? You're trying to get to know them. And so you ask them lots of questions that are basically, so what, what are you like? What do you like with this? What do you like with this? What do you like with this? And when they say something amazing, when they expose some incredible trait, you ask them this question. So how long have you been like this? And you're hoping that they don't say, well, since yesterday. <laughs> you're hoping they say, well, I've always been like this. Well, the truth is they haven't always been like that. At some point they've grown into it but they haven't been. Think about this. Anytime you ask God for his resume of consistency and you say, God, how long have you been like this? Here is, it, is his answer to every question, no matter what you're asking about. Sweetheart, I have always been. You've always been like this? I have always been. What I am, I have always been. I always will be. You can count on me because I've always been. That leads to the fifth thing, the self-sufficiency of God. The self-existence of God and the self-sufficiency of God connect together. God is self-sufficient. John chapter 5 verse 26 says, The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. Write this down if you're taking notes. To God, nothing is necessary. This is really good news because if God had needs, he could be bought. To God, nothing is necessary. The word necessary is entirely foreign to God. Here's another way to say this. Whatever God is and all that God is, he is in himself without any outside help. Another way to say it is, God doesn't need you or me. He chooses to use us. He has chosen to have relationship with us. But God does not need me. John chapter 1 verse 3, God created everything through Christ. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Understand something, God has a voluntary relation with everything he created. Nothing, there is not one thing God has a necessary relationship to or with outside of himself. Our God is in need of nothing. When God asks you to do something, it's not because he needs it. God needs nothing. When God asks you to do something, it's because he wants it. And I don't know about you, I hate buying presents. 
that are wrapped around needs. I like to meet needs, but I don't like to buy presents that meet needs. Nor do I like to receive presents that meet needs. I don't care if all of my socks have holes in them. Do not buy me socks for Christmas because I need them. For Christmas, buy me my wants, right? Okay, this is awesome in our relationship with God. It means anytime God asks you for something, he's not asking for a need because he's run out of it. He's asking because he would love for you to give it to him. God is self-sufficient. Now, how does that impact us? Because God alone is self-sufficient and no one else is. Here's what that means. Everything created is completely reliant. Everything created is completely reliant upon the creator who alone is self-sufficient. Acts chapter 17 verse 28 says it like this, for in him we live, we move, and we have our being. If you don't believe in the self-sufficiency of God, here's what that means. You believe in the self-sufficiency of man by default. And here's what that means theologically for you. If you don't believe that God is self-sufficient, that God has needs, that God needs you, here's what that means. You're going to put more weight and pressure on yourself than God created you to carry. Because God created you to be completely reliant. So let me talk to those of us who beat ourselves up for our weaknesses. Instead of looking at our weaknesses and hammering ourselves, could we not just remind ourselves he created us not just to be weak, but the reason he gave us weaknesses is so we would be fully reliant upon the only self-sufficient one, capital O. Here's another way to say that. It is completely okay to be latchy and needy as it relates to your relationship with God. He made you that way. I am not self-sufficient, and the sooner I own that, the more fun it is to fully rely upon the self-sufficient one. We can completely count on a God who is reliant on no one and no thing. And here's the last thing we're going to talk about in part one of what is God like. The knowability of God. The knowability of God. Another way to say it, what is God like? God is knowable. And I started this part of the message intentionally where we started with the incomprehensibility of God that a finite mind cannot wrap its mind around an infinite God and some would say well since God is unsearchable unfathomable why even try okay remember the incomprehensibility of God doesn't mean that we cannot know God it just means we cannot know God exhaustively God wants to be known by you now Scripture tells us there are a couple of different ways that God lets himself be known. And I'm not going to go through everything, but I'm going to give you just two, all right? Here's the first one, through nature. God reveals himself, which is just another way of saying shows himself or allows himself to be known through nature. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. 
Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Break that down simply. Here's what it means. That someone who doesn't know God still sees parts of God when beholding nature. It does not mean we, we worship created things. That's not what this means. Another way to say that God reveals himself in nature is when you look at the ocean, when you behold the beautiful sunset, when you listen to the giggle of your newborn child, those are just some of the ways that God answers the question, what is God like? He reveals himself through nature, through created things. So that it's entirely possible for some, someone who is lost to get a glimpse of God simply by gazing upon something the creator created. Here's another thing scripture says that God chooses to reveal himself through. Jesus. Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. Jesus has revealed God to us. When, when John writes, and the word became flesh, one translation says, he moved into the neighborhood. And I want you to understand why. Because God's fatherly heart is not that you might grope around and find a breadcrumb trail about what he is like from time to time. God sent his only begotten son to this earth into your cul-de-sac so that you might get a greater picture of who God is. While God cannot be known exhaustively, God can be known truly and personally. While you cannot know the God of the universe exhaustively, he longs for you to try. And if you'll try, he promises to show you, to teach you, to reveal to you what he is like. God said it like this. If you seek me, you will find me. And then he says, with such a demonstrative tone, he says, I will be found by you. He's not hiding from you. He longs to be known by you. Have you ever had a famous person that, you really respected, admired, and from time to time dreamed of being around. And you thought, man, it would be really cool just, just to get a picture with that person someday. And you kind of put them on this incredible pedestal. And what if one day you were at your favorite coffee shop and this person happened to walk in? And, and you're, you're like a fangirl, a fanboy, all of a sudden. Oh, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, it's you. You're here, 
in my coffee shop. I'm so sorry, I never do this, but can I please get a picture with you for my Instagram? And what if that person that you respect, admire, even maybe look up to, what if they said to you, sure, I'll, I'll give you a picture, but don't stop there. Come have lunch with me. And you go have lunch. You ask all kinds of questions about what it's like to be them. At the end of lunch, you start to say, hey, ha, this has been the best day of my life. Thanks for letting me hang out with you. Oh, no, no, no. Lunch is over, but our time isn't. I'm about to fly to the West Coast. I've got a private plane waiting six minutes from here. Why don't you come with me? And on the way, you can ask me anything you want. I'll tell you everything you want to know. Okay, this is a horrible closing illustration. <laughs> because my finite mind could not come up with a way to describe what it's like for an incomprehensible a God who is infinite. What it's like when a God who's self-existing, self-sustaining, what it's like when a God like that who seems too good to be true, who stands above the circle of the universe as though the rest of it was like a grasshopper. My finite mind couldn't come up with a way to describe how amazing it is that a God like that would want to be known by me, by you. Better than any famous person coming and saying, let's have lunch, the God of the universe constantly throughout your day is saying, come away with me, come away. I want to tell you things about me that I've never told you before, and it's going to change the way you see everything. Come away with me. I'm not teaching this series, this message, because I want you to be smarter for your friends. I'm simply trying to hold up a picture of our God and say, this is him. This is how he feels about you. And this is the kind of relationship he wants with you for all eternity. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.